0: Hello, it's all getting a bit chaotic down here. Maybe it's time we leave planet Earth for 30 minutes or so. Strap yourself in, it's a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Welcome along, my name's Dan, this is the show where we take a look all around the universe to see the amazing, wondrous, brilliant things that are lurking through the solar system. Now this week, it's the time of year again, where I want you to take a look outside and spot some butterflies, the big butterfly count is back... We love to talk about this every year, and you can hear from Dr Zoe Randall about how important what you see actually is, how they use your information, and what you need to look out for.
1: The Big Butterfly Count's different this year because we want more and more people to get involved to help us find out how last year's really hot, sticky drought weather affected our butterflies.
0: Also, we'll take a trip to Deep Space High to look at how space weather comes from the sun.
2: The temperature here is over 5,000 degrees Celsius. That's 50 times the temperature of boiling water.
3: Much quicker to make a cup of tea up here than on Earth.
4: (laughs) Yeah, if you didn't mind your kettle vaporising.
0: And I've got your questions to answer as always. This week, one is sparkly and I warn you, one might make you very itchy. It's coming up in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news NASA has picked up a heartbeat signal from its Voyager 2 probe After it lost contact with it This is flying billions of miles away from Earth Now last month, the spacecraft, which has been exploring the universe for over 50 years, since 1977 It tilted its antenna to point two degrees away from Earth after a wrong command was set As a result, the probe stopped receiving commands or sending data. But on Tuesday, NASA said a signal from Voyager 2 was picked up during a regular scan of the sky. They think it'll get proper signal back in October when it does a yearly reset. You know when you maybe press the wrong button when you're on the laptop and it takes you to a strange website or completely crashes the whole thing? Well, that's what's happened over at NASA. You'd think they would be smarter than this. They've typed in something wrong and set this probe way off course. Also, a 13-year-old boy has found a shark tooth belonging to a giant prehistoric creature on the Essex coast. Ben discovered the 10-centimetre-long tooth at walton on the Naze during a summer holiday weekend break. The teenager's dad, Jason, said his son was over the moon with the find, which experts have called rare. But the Natural History Museum said it might have actually been purchased in a shop. It might not be a real tooth. It might be lost on the beach by someone else. But I don't want to think about that. I reckon this is a real tooth that he has uncovered on a walking holiday from millions of years ago, 20 million years ago. And finally this week, a strange, dangerous game of targeting and ramming into fishing boats is spreading through orcas. You might have spotted videos of this. Killer whales off the coast of Spain have been ramming uh, boats that are floating out at sea. And scientists say that at least 20 of these orcas have learned the behaviour by copying their parents. They have said, though, that the animals, they don't mean it aggressively. They think they're just playing with the boats. They think it's playing, but it might send those fishermen overseas, uh, which we don't really want, however fun it might be for the killer whales. Shh! Let's check in with Techno Mum, then, one of our favourite gadget geniuses. She is an expert. She knows everything about technology, gizmos, and how they work in different industries and fields around the world. Uh, now, this week, we're checking out how a games console works and how your motion sensors work, too.
4: Techno Mum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology, advancing and sharing
3: technology. I love a bit of computer game action, as much as the next kid. Just not dancing. I've got two left feet. But even I can't resist to go on the Wiccanex dance fun. To be honest, I wasn't doing very well. My sister was thrashing me. But don't tell her I said that. <sighs> I need a rest.
4: <sighs> Take over, Dad. Good effort, Tim. Maybe I should sign you up for some dance lessons.
3: Probably best to save your money, Mum. I've had enough. It is pretty amazing how the telly knows I'm moving just by holding a remote control. How does it work
4: it out? Wow, that's a good question. Well, there's a huge amount of technology in these motion sensor games, which is a bit weird, as it's one of those things that's so easy and fun to do.
3: I wouldn't say easy, but I suppose some games are easier than others. I definitely have better luck on that bowling game. That
4: is fun. Yep, you're definitely better at bowling than busting moves. There's a few different ways these games work. Some have a remote control you hold, like ours, others don't. OK, start off with the ones with a remote. Well, inside the remote there's a piece of technology called an accelerometer. It's got tiny strands of silicon attached at one end, which sit inside an electrically charged field. When you shake or move the remote, it detects precisely how fast you're moving it. It's a bit like those hair-like cells that sit in some gloopy liquid deep inside your ears. The ones that can detect movement. Do you remember? You did them in science last year. Science last year was a
3: very long time ago. A bit. When you spin about, they detect the liquids moving, and that's why you get dizzy. Are those the ones?
4: Exactly right. Well remembered. Well there's something called a gyroscope in these remotes, which is clever enough to work out loads of information that can tell if movement is sideways, up and down, or forward and back. But how does the game know all this stuff? The control box is sitting under the telly. Well the remote can send all the information back over radio waves called Bluetooth. And that box sitting under the telly isn't just, well, sitting there. Sometimes it has infrared tracking that captures more information to put you in the game in the right place. Sometimes there's a light on the remote which a camera can track. That helps give the game more information about where you are on the dance floor and what moves you're throwing.
3: All well and good. Although I wish you'd stop going on about the dance floor, I've embarrassed myself enough for one night. All right, but what about the one at Uncle Richard's house? That doesn't even have a remote to hold.
4: I think his is the sort that uses a special camera. It takes a series of pictures of you and the room and uses a huge library of images to work out what it is you're doing. And what's amazing is that the library is so huge, it knows words too. So you can just say the commands, not click them, and that library can be added to, so it can remember your face too. That is pretty clever. I think I've had enough for one night, though. Oh, come on, spoil sport! Enough chat. Why don't we have a crack at the bowling?
3: Only if you don't get annoyed when I beat you, because you know I will. You're a terrible loser. Don't
4: be cheeky. I've been practicing, I'll have you know. Techno, mum. With the Institution of Engineering and Technology, advancing and sharing
2: technology. <laughs>
0: More from Techno Mum next week with more gadget geniusery. Something like that. Right now, let's answer your questions then. I love this part of the show. When you send over anything science-y that you're thinking, anything at all, and I answer the question, I do the digging, I figure it out for you. First question this week has been sent over uh, as a review on Apple Podcasts by Henry, who is nine in the Wirral in the UK, who wants to know, why do we get itchy skin? Now, I warned you, this might make you itch and scratch. Now, your skin is very important. It's an extra sensitive layer of armour, really, that protects you. And there are loads of nerves around there. You've got these little hairs, too. And they sense things. They do that because if something is wrong, it sends a message to your brain to inspect it, to make sure nothing is really going wrong and there's nothing there that wants to hurt you. And you inspect that by giving it a scratch, by giving it an itch. Now, lots of things can make you itchy. Maybe a bug has landed on you. Your brain wants to make sure it can't bite. So it says, you're feeling itchy. Better scratch that. Maybe you're allergic to something, and as your blood fixes you underneath the skin, it's making a lot of energy, everything's getting busy, so part of that is pain. All that commotion under there makes it itchy as well, so you need to scratch. But you really shouldn't scratch itches when you are ill, when you're allergic, when you've got a little cut or something like that. Thank you for the question, Henry. This one is from Ben, who is eight, who wants to know, what happens to the minerals in coal for it to be turned into a diamond? Well, although coal and diamonds are made from the same element, carbon, they're not really the same thing. Many people think coal turns into diamonds quite simply, but it's not true. Diamonds are made of that single element, just carbon, deep underground over thousands of million years with a lot of heat and high pressure. They are squeezed. They are squashed until the bonds of the carbon become so close and tight they become a diamond. Now, coal is made by plants when dead plants get squashed together to make fuel. Similar things that are open to a huge amount of heat, very high pressure, but they're not exactly the same. And that's what coal and diamonds are, Ben. Thank you for the question. Now, next week, uh, I want some questions. I want to hear from you. If you have anything sciencey at all that you want answered on this show, do me a favour. Open up the Free Fun Kids app and record a message to me there. If you can't get the app, you can do it over on the website as well. Find the Science Weekly page at funkidslife.com. Click record there and let me know your question. Say who you are, what you're up to, and tell me that brilliant question that is burning away in your brain. And I will figure it out next week. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. And it's that time of the year again where we want you to get outside and have a look and spy some creepy crawlies that might be flying through the air. Let's find out more about the big butterfly count for 2023 with Dr. Zoe Randall from the Butterfly Conservation. Zoe, thank you for being there. Lovely to chat again. Oh, lovely to chat to you too. There are three things I look forward to every year. My birthday, Christmas Day and chatting to you. Now, (laughs) how is the big butterfly count different this year from what we've seen before?
1: The big butterfly counts different this year because we want more and more people to get involved to help us find out how last year's really hot, sticky drought weather affected our butterflies what we're worried about is that some of the caterpillars that would have hatched out late summer from the females that have been flying previously, that those caterpillars, they wouldn't have found somewhere nice and green and lush and juicy to find somewhere to eat. So um, we think that a lot of the grass and vegetation was dry. And so in that case, the caterpillars wouldn't have got a really nice tasty meal. So they may not have made it and they may not have survived. So by taking part in a big butterfly count this year, you can help us find out how last summer's hot weather has affected butterfly numbers this year
0: we've been talking about the big butterfly count for a few years now just remind us of the point of the whole thing we'll go through the rules in just a sec but why do you do this
1: We do this so we can get a handle on how our butterflies are faring during this three-week period every year. The big butterfly count runs late July to early August because that's when the most species should be peaking in numbers.
0: So what do we need to do? How are we looking for these butterflies? Are there any rules at all?
1: There are. Well, if you want to go out on a butterfly safari, the thing to do is spend 15 minutes in a warm, sunny space and count the different types. A butterfly that you see and we also want to know if you don't see any butterflies that's just as important as seeing hundreds and hundreds so 15 minutes in a warm sunny place to help you identify the butterflies that you find you can download our really handy app from the bigbutterflycount.org website or you can download the free smartphone app which has also got a built in identification guide of the 20 target species 17 of which are butterflies and 3 are day flying moths and you can do as many counts as you like and you can do them anywhere you like so you can do them at the seaside you can do them at the mountain top in your garden, out in your local park, in a churchyard, allotment, nature reserve, woodland, anywhere that you go, you can spend 15 minutes counting butterflies when it's warm and sunny.
0: Oh, anywhere. That's interesting. Do we need to tell you where we've been, if we go on a rambling route, do we need to let you know exactly where we are and where we might have seen these?
1: Yeah, so when you go to the app, you've got the option to choose the habitat that you're in, whether it's a garden, a park, another a different sort of urban area or rural area. So you just click on a button on the app and it's really straightforward. And then you just put in the name of the nearest town or village um, to help us locate where you've seen these butterflies.
0: Where do you suggest we look? Doesn't matter where we are. Are there particular places where butterflies might like to hang out and we have a better chance of spotting some
1: your best bet is to go somewhere where you've got lots of flowers and grasses so out in the countryside's good if you can get there or even your local park if there's a long area of grass and flowers there then that would be good another great place actually i mean lots of us will be hanging around at train stations catching trains and things like that i'm sure so if there's a budlier bush anywhere near the train platform obviously stay away from the platform edge but you can count the butterflies on the buddleia bushes that you, that you see growing around and and buddlier bushes are everywhere so um train stations are good for that too
0: if butterflies were pokemon who would who would be like the the uber rare silver shiny card that hardly anyone sees what what's the what's the very toughest butterfly to spot
1: oh the toughest butterfly to spot well in the species that we've got for the big butterfly count they're all quite easy to spot really because they're found everywhere so um i'd put them all as the shiny car rare pokemons actually
0: (laughs) (laughs) i speak to loads of animal experts on the show and they'll often tell me how important bees are bees are very important because they help pollinate they help bring us food and feed other creatures How important are butterflies? Uh, They look spectacular. Do they do more for our ecosystem than just having very pretty wings?
1: Yes, they do. So butterflies are food for birds. They're also food for dragonflies and lots of other things. And that's just as adults. And when you think that a butterfly come from being caterpillars, the caterpillars are a really juicy meal for lots and lots of birds and and other insects. And the same goes for moths too. And there's a lot more evidence out there, a lot more scientific research, research has happened now that's showing that butterflies and moths are just as important pollinators as bees and in fact moths which are butterflies but they fly at night but they don't really there's not a great deal of difference between butterflies and moths really um moths have been likened to the bees of the night time because they're busy pollinating at night when the bees are tucked up in bed sleeping
0: do you feel sorry for moths I feel like they get a bad time of it because they're not as beautiful as butterflies.
1: Well I do feel sorry for moths but I think I do have to correct you there that there are some moths that are just as beautiful if not more so than butterflies. For example in the big butterfly Count, we've got the Jersey tiger moth and that's beautiful. It's black with white stripes like zebra stripes on its hind wings and then the underwings are really really colourful. So butterflies and moths, moths are just as beautiful as butterflies and uh, vice versa.
0: Now the big butterfly count this year is happening at a time when uh, the, the world is hotter than it's ever been really. Record temperatures that we've ever seen in China and over in America. Europe is experiencing a heat wave like no other How worried are you at the impact that this could make to butterflies in counts in the future?
1: Well, we're very worried because back in the 1970s, which is when I was born, um, we had a very hot year in 1976, and there was a drought then, and it took 10 years for some of our widespread species, so the species that you'll see in the big butterfly count, it took 10 years for some of them to recover in terms of numbers and boost their populations. And some of the rarer species, the habitat specialist species, some of those have never recovered from that drought in 1976. So we, with these extreme weather events and butterflies being highly sensitive to environmental change, which is another reason why they're important, um, we are very concerned moving forward into the future of how these extreme weather events are going to affect our butterflies, particularly because The habitat, you know, they need to have the weather can warm up and they can move northwards and track climate change. But they have to have suitable habitat, places for them to live in those new areas that come available to them. And by taking part in the Big Butterfly Count, you can help us answer all these questions and and help us see
0: what's happening to them. Now, counting butterflies is a brilliant idea. Is there anything else that we can do throughout the year to make habitats that we have around us more homely for butterflies to help them out when it is searingly hot?
1: Absolutely there's lots that you can do so you can plant different types of nectar sources in your garden so there's constant nectar from spring all the way through to autumn and winter Ivy is a really good source of food for butterflies and moths in the winter when nothing else is flowering the ivy flowers are there flowering so there's food available you can leave a long patch of grass or some patches of grass in your garden along the edges so that provides then shelter and food for for butterflies and places for them to lay their eggs and butterfly conservation is launching a new campaign called wild spaces and um, on the butterfly conservation website you can find out all about how you can create a wild space in your garden or allotment or local park.
0: Now, you've told us about the app that you've got. Looking into the future... How many ideas are you coming up with of different ways that we can keep track of butterflies? We've got AI, virtual reality now as well. How how much are you uh, taking advantage of this technology?
1: Well, there's lots of developments in this area and um, AI is being used more and more, increasingly more, um, in helping people identify the species that they see, butterflies, moths, ants, spiders, plants, whatever. And um, there's lots of, of free apps out there to help you identify different things and this is happening more and more and particularly in science and research as well there's automated um cameras on on moth traps and like like you get camera traps we've got now got camera traps for for moths as well so the moths come into the trap and photographs are taken and then those are then identified by ai obviously ai doesn't hold all of the answers and, um, you know, an AI is only as good as the person that programmed, programmed it. So um, there's no real substitute in the long term, I don't think, for a good pair of human eyes identifying things, although the AI can help.
0: So where do people need to go to find out more? What's the website? Where do we get the app?
1: So you can download the app from your app store and you can also log your sites and download the identification charts from www.bigbutterflycount.org
0: www.bigbutterflycount.org Dr Zoe Randall from the Butterfly Conservation, thank you so much for joining us
1: You're very welcome, take care and take part, get out for the count
0: It's time for this week's Dangerous Dandem when we look at some of the most mean, weird, strange and dangerous deadly things in the universe. This week we are heading back to the late Cretaceous period, travelling through time about 100 million years. We're learning all about the Cosmoceratops. What a name and what a sight Cosmoceratops is too. Now, you might have figured out it looks a little bit like a triceratops... With a wrinkled skin, it's got a long face. A A triceratops has three horns on its head. Three for tri. This one, the cosmoceratops, had 15 horns on its head. Now, they don't look as sharp as normal horns, they look more fancy, but there are 15, come on, they could do some damage. The whole beast measured about 4.5 metres long, it weighed 1.3 tonnes, it was mega, a big beast. It's a pretty recent discovery, it was found in Utah over in the United States in 2006, only two fossils have been found so far. Now, scientists have studied its teeth and things and they think that it was a herbivore, which means it lived on a diet of plants. But just imagine this beast. Giant, massive monster, 15 horns on top of it, a huge head fanning outwards, these horns spiking down. That would look deadly enough to make sure it's straight on our dangerous down list. Before we finish up this week, let's take a very quick trip. To a school far across the galaxy, the smartest school in the solar system. We're headed to deep space high. For the last few weeks, we've been catching up with Professor Pulsar, Sam Quark and the gang, learning about intergalactic weather. Now, the source of most of space weather affecting us is the sun. So let's take a trip inside the sun to see where it all starts. If you think planet Earth is a bit warm right now, you've got no idea how hot this sun can be. Deep Space High. Intergalactic
1: weather watch.
2: Jump into a wormhole and travel to Deep Space High. The school in space. But hurry, because lessons are about to begin. Right, we're approaching Earth's sun to get a closer look at the source of all this solar weather. So, visors on everyone, and let's get the shields up.
3: Uh, Quark? Why are you in your swimming costume?
2: Well, I thought if we're going to the sun, I might do some sunbathing.
3: You'll be burned to a crisp.
2: Now, the first thing you've probably noticed is that the surface of the sun is a lot more active than it looks from Earth.
3: It's like a bubbling stew, spitting and boiling so much it feels like it's going to shake the ship apart.
2: The temperature here is over 5,000 degrees Celsius. That's 50 times the temperature of boiling water.
3: Much quicker to make a cup of tea up here than on Earth. (laughs) Yeah, if you didn't mind your kettle vaporising. Oh, I can see some cooler patches. Are they the sunspots? Correct.
2: Not much cooler, though. Still well over 3,000 degrees. Shall we go in a little further? Now this is where the action is. The sun is mostly made of two elements, hydrogen and helium. They are constantly bashing together and breaking apart, and these collisions create energy. A lot of energy. Yes.
3: Yeah. 50 times as hot as boiling water. Um, not in here, Sam. The thermometer says 15 million degrees? No!
2: Let's not hang around too long. I don't think we need to work on our tans much more.
3: Sir, we've been learning that solar flares and solar wind are created by magnetic forces, but where exactly does the magnetism come from? Is it the same as all that heat energy?
2: Not quite. The sun is made up of plasma. That's a gas-like state containing particles which have been blasted into pieces. Each piece has a magnetic charge, either positive or negative. All the tiny pieces moving around create a swirling ball of magnetic fields, constantly changing. Now, we can't see these fields without the help of some models. Check this out. Whoa! So you can see in some areas there is less activity and in other areas, more. And when there's a build-up...
3: Whoa! Whoa! a solar flare. That's right.
2: And sometimes there'll be a very big build-up when you get something even bigger. Often after a large solar flare, in fact.
4: Hey, I remember. They're called coronal mass ejection. Um, if there's just been a large flare, shouldn't we, like, get a bit further away, sir?
2: Hold up. If my calculations are right, I think we can expect a nice big coronal mass ejection in three, two, one... Hold on tight! Fortunately for us, Deep Space High is very well protected against the solar energy. Next time we'll be finding out that not everyone who travels up here is as well protected. Class dismissed!
0: Deep Space High, Intergalactic Weather Watch, with support from the Science and Technology Facilities Council. Find out more at slash space. More from Deep Space High next week. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you for listening. If you have any science questions, please let me know as a voice note. Send that to the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. While you're on the website, it's one of the best places you can hear loads of our brilliant podcasts. You've got them on Google, Apple, Spotify, on our app, wherever you get your shows. You can also get very exclusive bonus stuff by subscribing to Fun Kids Podcast Plus. And Fun Kids are our children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com.